Welcome to the Test Kitchen. You are listening to a podcast by Design Bites research team. We bring you bite-sized tips and tricks about food and beverage businesses, as well as interview the change makers in the industry. Join us to the Test Kitchen. For me, it was really one day, two and a half years back. My then five-year-old daughter walked into our room, home office, and saw a picture of a melting planet open on my laptop. And she went, mom, what is that? Is that the planet we live on? And is it really melting like ice cream? And that day, in that moment, I had no idea what to tell her. Uh, But I then knew exactly what I had to do. And so, here we are. (laughs) Welcome to our sixth episode, where we chat about children's food and how to develop it, especially ethically. We have Erika Pertunen from our research team interviewing two changemakers in this industry. Green Planet astronauts operating mostly in Finland and Tiny Organics from the US. Both these develop food for children from plant-based ingredients and are here to change how we develop and plan food for children in long term. Listen how they are going to do it. We have learned from our research that while the companies and ventures are looking to grow, monetary gains are rarely the driving force that keep food entrepreneurs fried up. Rather, entrepreneurs often launch their ventures to create something new, love for their craft, industry or team, and the drive to make a difference. Entrepreneurs seek impact in a wider variety of issues, from ethical causes to sustainability and food culture. These often stem from the founders' own passions towards certain causes like educating the new generation in the case of Milla Westerling with Green Planet astronauts, who shared her daughter's comments about the melting planet. There is a strong sense of ownership and fulfillment seeing one's idea manifest into a product on a shelf of a store or nowadays also on an online platform. Awesome. Nice to have you, Mila and Sophia, here with us today. Um, maybe we could start by um, both of you answering, like, how do you feel that developing food for children differs from developing food for adults? Sophia, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I can start. I'm Sophia. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Tiny Organics. We're in a mission to raise a generation of veggie lovers. We're based in the U.S., founded the company in New York. But I am originally from Finland. It was my dream always to, you all know about Ideas Bakkaus, the Finnish baby box. Um, and obviously very familiar with that concept. Um, and I saw firsthand the impact that it had back home. And it was my lifelong dream to bring that concept here to the US. Um, the idea that we had developed, we thought about how could we have the biggest impact in childhood development. And that was through food. Mila knows this as well, but actually the baby food category is actually fully invented in the 1920s. And there's really no reason for, you know, very sweet options that you see on the supermarket shelves today. So um, I think for us, when we developed our meals, we have about 15 hero meals uh, SKUs, and then we have three to five seasonal SKUs as well. Um, Obviously, the main point was just good nutrition and the nutrients that children need at different stages in their life. And, you know, our foods, um, you can start tiny at six months and go all the way up to 
three years and beyond, we eat this food often as well. But I think the main point is just that, you know, children and, and, and people were eating real whole foods for millennia, you know, and, and, and that's for us, you know, the idea that it's the meals are savory forward um, and vegetable forward. Um, Cause you know, I, I will say also human beings have an innate preference for sweet foods. Um, so we're trying to kind of combat that um, and make sure that, you know, children grow up to be the healthiest versions uh, of themselves. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Leila? Um, yeah, absolutely. The biggest difference in developing foods for kids, uh, especially babies, compared to developing foods for just anyone, like adults, is that babies cannot respond whether the food is is good or bad in quality. Uh, that's kind of actually, it's very similar to pet food. Pets are equal, but they cannot communicate whether the food is rotten or or if it's uh, beyond its shelf life already. So that's probably the biggest difference. That's why baby food is the most regulated food category, uh, especially in Europe. Here's a bit difference to the US where the regulations aren't that tight. Actually, there is no tighter category than baby food that is also organic. Uh, That's the most regulated, most tested, most certified food there can be. Also, not only that babies cannot they cannot say or they cannot respond whether the food is good or bad, but also because their gut and metabolism and the whole body is only developing. So that's why it's very delicate what foods you eat. Hmm. That leads nicely to the next question. And Sophia, you already mentioned some factors that should be taken into account when developing food for children, like nutrition and, and having enough vegetables. But are there some other factors that you both take into account when you make your products? Taste is one, <laughs> the most important. If a baby doesn't eat the food uh, you give, it's it goes to waste, which is bad for, for everyone um, and frustrating for everyone. So taste is definitely one. Also because babies' taste buds start developing already in womb uh, at the age of 16 weeks and continue to do so for the like throughout the entire childhood. So it's very crucial actually how the kids... Uh, learn which taste they learn because that will define a lot how you eat when you grow up. To add also, in addition to what Mila said, um, I think textures are really important. So we lean into this movement called baby-led weaning, which is actually a movement out of Europe. But the whole idea, it's actually in Finnish, um, this idea that children, you know, are engaging all their senses when they're eating um, and, and really it's encouraged for them to eat with their fingers you know, smell the food, play with the food. And there was research actually done that the more textures and flavors you introduce uh, to a child uh, earlier on, the more adventures they become. That's one thing for us that's slightly different from some of the other uh, products on the market is that we only do textured foods. So we don't have any uh, purees, uh, but we always say it's up to the parent uh, to decide how they start their child uh, on, on solids. We try to introduce vegetables in a friendly way, which is we, what we always say. And I think this idea of like those bitter flavors, how do you, how do you uh, familiarize children uh, with those flavors early on? I think it's really important. Yeah, that's a good point because also eating foods is, is not only about what you eat, but it's the whole experience that you create for the baby. It's, it's a whole new world that opens up when you actually taste something outside of, of milk. For the first time in your life it kind of combines all the all the senses not just taste uh what about if we look at the challenges and opportunities in the child's children's food market what are sort of the biggest challenges and biggest opportunities in your opinion 
Well, definitely. I think me and, and Sophia both agree that uh, fructose has become one of the biggest challenges in the industry, really. How, um, how the food industry is always trying to find kind of like the healthy sugar alternative. And now um, fructose or 100% fruit puree is offered as a healthy choice, but it's everything but um, really, especially when it comes to processed foods where fruit loses all of its good qualities when it has to be heated for it to be able to stand in shelf for more than just a couple of months. And, and basically only fructose is left. And whereas fructose then goes also through the liver and could be yes. liver diseases. Um, or fatty liver, actually. Fatty, fatty liver, liver, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes, fatty liver is one of the most common or how do you say, like becoming the most common diseases within children, which is pretty shocking, actually. And that's got to do only on high intake of fructose. And also look in the US, only 10% of children get their daily recommended dose of vegetables. And, and I think the most popular vegetable is a French fry, which is pretty shocking. So there's just, I think this is one of the biggest opportunities out there in the world, honestly, because, you know, chronic diseases, they start with, in my mind, you know, they start with poor diet, you know, and, and poor, poor lifestyle. So if we can set up, you know, children uh, on the right path as it relates to nutrition from the earliest days, I think that is, there's such, you know, massive impact. Uh, there. Um, and then challenges, I think, you know, as, as Mila said, you know, the, the big food, I, I feel like, you know, and we're actually, I should mention we're fresh frozen as well. So I always talk about kind of frozen foods where frozen is the next best thing after fresh and fro the frozen aisles at supermarkets got kind of co-opted by big, big sugar and big food and the big pizzas. Um, so we're, we're on a quest to kind of also educate the customer around the benefits of, of, of frozen so I think that's a big opportunity. Um, and then I think lastly for us, over 50% of moms in America are on WIC, which is food stamps for moms. And that's a pre-pandemic statistic, which is pretty shocking. The big audacious goal for us to, will be to get on WIC uh, and, and to be part of those that select products that uh, you know moms who are on food stamps could also purchase. There's a few organic brands there, but I think you know we'll have to get the price point down that is the ultimate goal and why we're building what we're building is the accessibility. And that is, you know, creating true meaningful impact um, if we can get there. Although Finland with a small population of 5.5 million people pushes the food and beverage companies to do business outside of its borders, 74% of the Finnish food and beverage companies interviewed by our team practiced no or only limited internationalization. The rest 26% who operate also in the other markets that in Finland, do it mostly through joining forces with other companies, with a local agent or through niche communities. Mostly these companies operate in the Nordic countries, Middle Europe or the German market. Some of our case companies export also to UK and Ireland as well as to Japan and rest of Asia. The US holds 4% of the exports from our case companies. What about if we look a bit at the differences between the Finnish and the American market? You know, Mila and I are both in baby and children's food. I think there's really big differences in the school lunches, um, which is another category that we'd love to at some point age up to and try to, you know, again, create some meaningful changes. Um, the school lunches in the U.S. are pretty poor nutritional quality, uh, unfortunately. And that relates to there's a lot of, you know, 
there's a lot of sociopolitical issues there as well. And it would require a lot of a lot of changes. But I think that's a big one where also breakfast foods in the U.S. is changing and depends on where you are. I don't want to generalize, again, a country of over 300 million people. But I would say breakfasts are like sweeter in the U.S. versus in Finland. I even think about like an oatmeal you would put in a dollop of butter maybe back home. But here is, it's, you know, a lot of sweet foods for breakfast, which obviously sets you up to me less point earlier, sets you up to crave that sugar hit later um, in the day. I would say those are probably the biggest. And then portion sizes, of course, are, 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 are bigger here, uh, depending again where you live. Um, and then the inequality uh, where, you know, neighborhoods with uh, people with, you know, lower income levels, sadly, don't have obviously don't have the options um, that the rest of us have. And also maybe they won't even be close to a supermarket with fresh pr- produce, let alone organic. Um, so those are, I think, some of the things that are the big differences. I think one of the biggest differences actually in the U.S. is that baby food as a category adopts more in quantity and like more faster this exciting new ingredients than in Europe. And this has got to do again with regulation, how baby food is more regulated in, in Europe than in the US. But you can see absolutely in, in the US in baby food, you can see much more, for example, superfoods or similar kind of packaging claims that you would see on other categories. So it's definitely adopted faster there than in Europe. Mm-hmm. And one more piece about this, there was a recent congressional investigation around heavy metals Uh, in baby food. And Mila and I had a great chat about this, actually, that I didn't know that some even some vegetables are, you know, you're not allowed to have them in baby food, which I thought was really interesting. Um, There's heavy metals in the soil. What was most damning about this report was that the brands knew that their levels were way too high and still released the product to the public. So baby food has been in the kind of in the public consciousness now and in in the public discourse um, in the, the last, I would say, over a month now. Um, and obviously, Milana and you know people who are in this industry and activists n- knew about this. Um, but I think ultimately they're really putting pressure on the FDA to have some guidelines on this and have some oversight. How about if we look at the marketing side of it? How do you go about marketing food for children? How do you make it interesting and fun? Um, yeah, go ahead. Especially interesting for us because we have kind of like two target groups that we're trying to talk to. We have the parent, who is obviously the decision maker here. Um, so we have to kind of prove for the parent that we are um, ultimately the best choice in the market, uh, replacing a lot of um, sugar, fructose, um, uh, fruit as such with this superfood called oats. And then we have kind of like, this is, <laughs> we sometimes use this words end user, which is the, the, the child. And here is where we really want to inspire the kids to eat like automatically healthy already from from when they start to understand foods and like the whole concept of what do I choose to eat so these two worlds these two target groups are very different from each other um, very different kind of colors and and text obviously characters speak to them and we're we're trying to combine these two worlds what ways have you discovered that you have used to combine the words We do it, um, obviously, being very careful about the touch points to our brand. Like we have to understand very in-depth where we are talking to the parent and where we are talking to the child. Um, 
this is actually very obvious when we are launching now a new direct-to-consumer subscription concept where we have these two touch points in literally in the same box delivered to home where we can reach out to the kids and we can also speak to the parent. So it's definitely doable, but we just need to be super careful like where and how to talk, especially to the kids to inspire and to really like help parents and support parents in raising a whole new planet-friendly and healthy generation. On our side, we are just pure direct to, we always say not direct to consumer, we say direct to community um, currently. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, our brand really is, we want it to be accessible, but aspirational. Um, and, you know, some of the imagery that you see on our site as well is obviously very colorful. Um, and, you know, we really want to emphasize the fact that we want to introduce your child to their first hundred flavors. So variety is really key for us. Um, and, you know, on, on the marketing side, we're about 50% organic uh, marketing and 50% paid. So on the paid side, we're able to test different messaging that really works uh, with our with our customers. We know it's a very unique moment when your child first starts eating solids. Um, and we're, we get a lot of user-generated content daily, actually, which is amazing. So we're able to utilize some of that as well. And on the, on the uh, organic marketing side, we're hyper-focused on our community, such as like the tiny supper clubs, which are these events now virtual uh, for moms. And, uh, and it's, you know, you want to weave in the product in a, in a thoughtful way. And essentially it's like mom's night off. And then we have about 20 moms who get together. Hmm. Are there any responsibility issues related to marketing that you have to take into account? I think a lot. Um, it's a huge responsibility actually to really, as discussed, uh, we, I feel like we are responsible on how our kids, like with what taste do our kids grow up with? especially how we educate and how we support parents in raising their children in a healthy and planet-friendly way. So yeah, it's really shaping the future even. As it relates to children's food and baby food in particular, food safety is, is you know, the number one priority. Like before we ever, ever um, sold a, a, a meal, we hired a safety consultant, Kathy, who actually still works with us. Just uh, from an ingredient perspective, you have to make sure that everything is listed, listed properly uh, and the parent can make kind of the best decision f- for their child. Mm. Uh, what we hear a lot is that parents are actually pretty confused. And that's got a lot to do with the current marketing efforts that the big food corporations do. Uh, and this 100% fruit sold as, as a super healthy option is a good example of, of misleading the consumer. And the consumer gets really confused, like what is really healthy? Because the, the idea of actually feeding your baby with just fructose, like pure fructose that is causing you fatty liver has been um, really shocking for the parents. And this is something that they didn't know. So yes, definitely there is a huge responsibility in also educating the parents, like what actually is healthy and what the food industry is not telling you. Can this even be with this low price point? Can this even be healthy? Uh, What about experimentation? Is there a role for it when developing food for children? We have a group of taste testers, little ones, uh, who try obviously our foods before they come to market. And there is, as mentioned, different textures and flavors. And for us, we have those seasonal flavors that come out. So definitely a lot of experimentation. Uh, and it's really fun to, to watch children eat a food for the first time. Yeah, it sounds fun. So 
do you collaborate with other other market players? Yeah, for us, we um, are part of two councils. Um, so a top school of nutrition who we, who we partnered with, you know, since day one, we're on their, um, on their council, as well as a council called shaping early palates. It's actually, um, uh, Michelle Obama's organization uh, called healthier America. Um, so it's us and a lot of our competitors as well, you know, essentially working together. Lalo that does uh, high chairs and, and others. So that's been great to see. I think there's a lot of innovation that can come from different com like companies in the same space, but that are not just focused on one, one category. There are a lot of interesting cooperation opportunities in cross-category uh, collaborations that we're also doing at the moment of, of bringing like baby food and how you raise your kids to a whole new level, which is required today When it comes to collaborating with companies, like for example, we with Tiny, like just collaboration, meaning like we're always in contact, exchanging thoughts and learning from each other is something that huge corporations could never actually do. And this is something unique and something very uh, specific about us startups being so amazingly flexible and open to all new because everyone is just trying to find their way like where can we make breakthroughs to really change the world mm-hmm. how about if we look at the current pandemic how has it affected your business we we saw a, a year of big growth and we always say we feel fortunate that we we were able to meet a real need at a time and that it, you know if you look at our communications it very much also was kind of that empathetic tone Um, and we had a campaign where we gifted food to parents who couldn't necessarily afford it. Um, and then also we partnered with Food Bank for New York also in the early days of the pandemic when New York was really going through a hard time was we were founded in New York. So, um, but yeah, for us, from a business perspective, it's, it's, it's been a, and it, the, the growth has continued. Uh, so we had a really, really good year from that perspective. Um, but, but I think, you know, it's interesting to see what happens. Like Mila mentioned retail. You know, I think right now mom isn't going, to, at least in the US, isn't going to the store to discover new products. Um, but I, I do think retail will come back as well um, post-pandemic. Mm. Yeah, we both, like Tiny and us, Green Planet, we launched just before COVID, <laughs> before the pandemic. So it was a shocker uh, because really like we went into the business uh, raising a whole new generation of planet-friendly eaters that are healthy and happy. And then all of a sudden, everybody was just trying to trying to save themselves from something uh, unknown. And so we actually had to shift really fast and just kind of jump in and okay how can we what can we do to save us and and our kids and all the parents there are all the families who were struggling in a lockdown a year ago so yeah we did a lot of gifting we did a lot of charity um just doing whatever we could to help families and now it's a little bit more calm and we can <laughs> switch back to focusing on on uh to the bigger picture it's a fact that People don't go or didn't go to the store to explore new brands for sure. Uh, if you think a year ago for some of the spring months, now it shifted back a little bit. And now what I can tell, obviously, is that people are super concerned on what is healthy, what is good for them. They are very focused on 
on their immune system and their metabolism and how do they support each other and what does what what kind of a role does food play here and what can I do with my everyday food choices yeah so maybe as a final question what would be sort of a key takeaway for someone who is creating a product for markets where there also social aspects are are mattering in addition to profit I would say stay super true to yourself and always go back like why you started what you started in the first place because it makes everything so much more easier there are ups and downs and and you kind of have to be really clear for yourself first what is it that you want to do what is the impact you want to create in the world and what's your role in it similar vein for sure um i realized early on that i kind of thrive in impact driven environments. Um, I worked at a nonprofit for many years. Um, and I think, you know, we are very fortunate to be in the situations that we're in, uh, in life. And, you know, and I think the opportunities that we were given, I talk about Finland all the time here and how our prime minister worked at a supermarket and, you know, and, uh, I, I think, you know, that's one of the most amazing thing, things about Finland is that everyone is given the same opportunity. Um, and I think it all goes back to education specifically. Um, but I think, you know, wanting to create that meaningful impact, like Mila was saying, I think is, is, is in, and creating something out of nothing, um, feels really kind of rewarding. Um, even same both with, with tiny and green planet, you know, we're still very early in our, in our life cycle, uh, as companies. Um, but I have learned so much and I, you know, wouldn't trade it for the world. It's just been an amazing journey and it's just the beginning. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing where you are <laughs> in the future. It's great. Yeah, thanks both of you. Thanks Thank so you much. so much. It was fun. It was. <laughs> Thank you Erika, Milla and Sofia for your awesome discussion about children's food and how to develop that in an ethical way and market it as well. Thank you everyone for listening our podcast series. Kiitos to all our guests, our team, and especially the awesome Finnish food and beverage entrepreneurs who we have learned so much from. Me, Hanna, personally thank for the countless fun editing hours of the podcast, and especially thank Sami Lensu's help in the technical production of the podcast. If you got curious about developing food amidst the pandemic, check our earlier episode, How Can a Pandemic Spur Creativity in Product Development? or our fifth episode, how to make illegal legal. You can also try out some experiments of your own with more tips and tricks on fast tracking learning available at designpites.alto.fi. Till next time, thank you.